Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. I'm your host or co-host, however you want to look at it, Aaron Snyder. I've got Frank Peralta across the table from me, and we have an amazing guest with us today, South Cox, owner of Stalker Stickbows. Uh, backcountry hunting extraordinaire so- south welcome on <laughs> I, amazing and extraordinaire are not adjectives that i would use to describe myself but i appreciate the uh, flattery and then you've got uh now what you you how long ago explain so, the dynamic uh, sure so with me also is jake morris um jake is my sole employee um at the moment and Jake started working for me about a year and a half ago. Um, He approached me and when I was talking about moving to Colorado and he kind of had similar aspirations, Jake worked for the sheriff's department there in Humboldt County, Northern California, where we both lived. And uh, he he was looking to make a a move um, from law enforcement into something different and uh where as he put it he wasn't having to work with the bottom five percent of the population (laughs) (laughs) so he started working with me in my shop one day a week he had he worked a four-day work schedule and started coming in um one day a week and working with me kind of starting to learn the trade and then uh, i moved out here to colorado in april last year and then he followed out in september and it's been working for me full time since then. Gotcha. Have you guys done some hunting together yet? Or do you have that in the plans or what's the, what's the um, plan that? Yeah, we haven't really nailed down our plans for next year or well, it's this year already now, 2018. So we haven't nailed down our plans yet, but uh, we haven't have not hunted together yet. But I'm sure that'll be in the future. Yeah. So well, you, you though, I mean, as far as um, you've been backpacking and backpack hunting since what, for 30 years? Yeah, actually, right. Uh, 31 years uh, was my first trip that I did. And and uh, it was, you know, uh, old camp trails frame pack. And I really didn't know. I mean, no, I had never heard of backpack hunting necessarily, but there was a spot that I wanted to hunt that I knew was more than I could do in a on a day hunt. And uh, so um, you know, that was my first foray into backpack hunting. And then, uh, when I was, I think it was 19, um, I went into the marble mountain wilderness area on an extended backpack hunting trip. And that was my first, you know, real multi-day trip. And it was actually pretty funny. I had, a. Um, are you familiar with those Dwight shoe packs, the Coleman P1 yeah, plastic frame looking yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had a, um, a, I may have been upgraded to a Kelty frame pack by that point, but I had a, um, a you know, Kelty pack loaded with nine days of food. And then I had, so I wore that on my back and I couldn't fit everything in there. So I had my shoe pack my Dwight shoe pack that was loaded and I front carried it like a baby Bjorn (laughs) and waddled seven miles into the Marble Mountain wilderness area carrying two backpacks at once and uh, that was my first real you know extended trip and and I haven't gone you know a year where I haven't done at least you know one or two or three um, backpack you know hunting trips so it's been kind of you know a, um, a passion of mine since I was really young. Yeah, well, I remember, and I brought this up on other podcasts when, because, well, how old are you? We're not too far apart. 48. Okay, well, we are seven years, I guess. Um, But, like, there wasn't that, because, like, Frank, you're 28? 
29. 29. So you, you know, they had cell phones and shit when they, sure. you know what I mean? So like when I, you and Cameron had posted something or I can't remember. And I remember thinking, I'm not the only one doing this. Like, uh, okay. I'm, Cause it wasn't a big thing no. back in the day. And I remember reading well, the first thing I remember reading was Cameron using a bivy. And I'm thinking, man, those, that's horrible by itself. Like mm-hmm. there's no way I would want to do, which we're going to talk about in the next podcast is shelters. But, um, and I talked about this before because there's a lot of unknowns when you can't bounce things off of people. Yep. One was footwear, which I think we're going to talk about, like, you know, flexible or right. stiff. Um, but there was not the giant hub of information 10, 20 years ago. No, there wasn't. There and was nothing, really. No, no. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to go ahead and try this. And then I, I, you know, it wouldn't pan out or it would. And then I'd forums came about and I started reading about stuff on forums. And a lot of it was kind of, you know, not a lie, but maybe misinformation. And um, it's not as cool. It wasn't as cool back then as it is. Everyone does it now. I mean, not everyone, but um, the backcountry is not yeah, so low kind anymore. Of in vogue now, you know, it's kind of the cool thing to do for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Um, definitely in vogue. But <laughs> the uh, y- you compound hunted for quite some time and then yep. switched to trad. How long ago did you switch to, to trad? So I made the, I think the last animal I shot with a, with a compound may have been like 2010. So I had my um, stick bow company going for several years before I, you know, weaned myself entirely of, of shooting a compound and kind of made a gradual transition, which really worked out well for me. And I think, you know, guys that are interested in dabbling into traditional archery, I think it's a, you know, a good way to um, maybe alleviate some of the frustration one might experience, um, you know, making that transition from a compound to shooting a stick bow, because, uh, you know, it really can be frustrating, you know, trying to get that much closer to an animal with a stick bow, you know, when you're well within compound range. And I, I'd imagine you kind of have to liken it to if you came to archery from shooting a rifle and you're used to pounding stuff at, you know, two, three, 400 yards. And all of a sudden now you have to get to, you know, 40, 50, 60 yards. And, uh, you know, to make that mental transition, well, it's like that, you know, all over again, when you go from shooting a compound to shooting a stick bow, um, you know, you might be really effective, you know, on the target range shooting a stick bow at 40 yards, but there's a lot more variables, you know, that come into play when you're shooting at an animal and, and, uh, everything is so much more critical from a mental standpoint when you're shooting a stick bow, even more so than when you're shooting a compound or a rifle. Yeah. Isn't that's kind of something that you brought up when you first started trad hunting and you'd get to 60 yards and that's when you'd usually be able to for sure kill something with a compound and that's when the hunt was starting for you is 60 yards when you when you switch to the trad bow yep pretty much i definitely the the first big game animal was a bear and i was 40 yards from it for about 10 minutes and i had shot really well at targets at Mm -hmm. 40 but i i wasn't feeling it that day and uh I remember thinking at least uh, probably thousand times in the course of this stock, you would be so freaking dead if I had my compound, but I just couldn't kill it. And, um, in, and I, it, it did come into 20, which I missed it. The first shot I shot between its legs, cause probably cause I was shit in my pants. And then uh, I did kill it on the second shot, but it was one of those t- things that, um, that one day, that one, you know, 
section of time, I learned a lot, especially about the trad bow that I had been missing with the compound because I never had to worry about closing. I mean, I shot a lot of stuff close up just as happenstance, but if I got within 40 to 60, I would just shoot it. Uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't happening with the stick bow. Uh, it was a big eye opener. And I remember in, in you know, the spirit of, of honesty, uh, watching your video, you sent me one. Um, in fact, I think the first time I talked to you and I can't even remember what it was about, I had mentioned something about I'm going to the gym and then you said you were driving by one kind of as a, as a joke. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, cause you, this is the first time you and I've actually met. Right. Um, but I remember watching your video and you'd missed some stuff. Yeah. A lot. And I remember thinking <laughs> this guy missed a bunch of stuff and, uh, well, then I picked up the stick bow and yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not saying shit ever uh -huh. again because it's just, I mean, I missed a mule deer three times opening day within between 20 and 30 yards. It wasn't even that big of a deer. Which I'm sure that if somebody would have told you the day before that that was about to happen, you would not have believed him. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have believed him. I, I, I mean, especially like when you do everything right, like I'm yeah. normally not super cautious and, you know, it took me 30 minutes to go 10 yards, which is <clears throat> pretty sneaky for me and still screwed it all up. Sure. Um, and, and, and it was funny because Frank, um, I think I talked to you. I know I talked to Brian. I was like, man, I'm just going to have to get closer, uh, like a lot closer. Yeah. Um, and the next hunt, he, he, I was with Frank and I ended up pulling a South, well, we, I mean, I even said I pulled a South Cox on him. I shot him at five feet. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it did not help my shooting. Uh, like it didn't make me feel better about my ability to shoot because I shot it so close. I, I probably could have stabbed it. Sure. Um, but it definitely was one of those things where I'm like, I'm just, I get this close every time. It's going to be hard to, to screw this up. And that's how, for me, it was with trad where, um, every step was a mile, right. like any step I could get closer, I, I yeah. would. So, yeah, I, um, I mean, I, the furthest animal I've shot with a stick bow is right about 40 yards. I shot a mule deer in, uh, it was like 2011, I think it was. And, uh, you know, I was shooting really well. I love stump shooting and I'll shoot all day long. And I, I kind of use it as a barometer for, you know, what my effective range is on that day. And it may sound kind of funny from a, you know, if you're coming from a compound mentality where, you know, you kind of set your bow up, you uh, sight it in and, and then you kind of determine what your effective range is there on the range. And then, you know, you're probably pretty well good to go for the season. And uh, with a stick bow though, there's, I mean, there's really, no, you know, reference for aiming. If you're not using some kind of a draw check, like a clicker or a, um, you know, feather that touches the corner of your nose as you're expanding through your shot, then really, you know, you've got a lot um, of variables there that could go wrong and, and you start, um, you know, suffering some mental lapses and things can go bad in a hurry. And, uh, so I'll shoot, you know, daily, uh, walking around, I'll, you know, I'll have a, a couple of blunts in my quiver and pick a leaf and shoot at it. And, and I kind of use that to determine, you know, how I'm doing shooting wise on a daily basis. And then I'll restrict my shot distance. And, uh, and even then, um, you know, a, a shot might present itself that's within my, you know, supposed effective range. And I may pass that just because, 
things don't feel right. And I think that that's one of the major things I've realized or learned as a um, traditional, you know, bow hunter that you have to kind of trust your instinct there. And I can remember in my early twenties, you know, being at the local archery shop back when they had VHSs and we were watching, you know, a, a hunting, um, a hunting show on TV. It wasn't a show. It was a, you know, VHS tape. And there was a guy shooting the longbow and he passed up a broadside shot on an elk at 25 yards. And I'm screaming at the TV, you idiot. You know, it's like, dude, what more could you possibly ask for? But the guy just was not comfortable with that shot for whatever reason at that moment. And it wasn't until, you know, I kind of went through those learning experiences myself that um, I started to kind of figure out, okay, where that guy's head was at. Yeah. Yeah. And until you do it, I don't think, uh, I mean, for me, um, I can say until I did it, I, what didn't really, the light bulb didn't pop on until the bow was in my hand. And I, um, you know, uh, I mean, multiple times Brian would say, why didn't you shoot? I mean, and especially coming from me, cause I'm a shooter. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't mind letting an arrow go. And I'm like, man, I just, I don't think I could have hit it. Um, where, I mean, it, it with a compound, I, I mean, you would have been dead or what, you know sure. what I mean? And, and, and I've gotten some flack from trad guys for saying that, but I, I don't mean it in a negative way. Um, I just, for me, uh, I, I could have killed it with a, a compound compared to a trad bow. It just didn't feel right. And my skill sets, no, uh, it's a shadow fraction of where it is with a, you know, with a wheel bow. Um, that's probably why you feel so much different or I do when I kill something with a trad bow is, a lot more effort put into it and a lot more, um, patient. I mean, you just have to be a better a hunter to be successful with a stick bow all the time, or at least I, I think so. I mean, I, would- you certainly learn a lot, you know, when you, I mean, just as if you were a rifle hunter and then you start bow hunting, you're going to learn a lot about animal behavior and what you can get away with and what you can't. And then you go from shooting a compound, you know, and, and really reducing that effective range and, and you're forced to learn more. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. You're going to have to learn more about, um, you know, field craft, uh, about stalking, about, um, you know, animal behavior, when to move, when not to move, you know, what you can get away with. And a lot of those lessons are learned the hard way in the beginning. Well, not even just the beginning, all the way along. Um, and I mean, that's just one of the things you have to embrace um, when you shoot a stick bow and it's just the same um maybe to a slightly lesser degree, but if you're going to go from shooting a rifle to shooting a, to shooting a compound, then, you know, you kind of have to realize that there's, you get to 150 yards and, and you still have work to do. You know, you're not going to be able to tip it over with a rifle. And I think that one of the things that, that separates that is that, uh, you know, that, that gap from, um, rifle to archery, a rifle to compound versus compound to traditional equipment is that there is a distinctive season, hunting season difference. So if you're hunting with a rifle, you're, you know, you're regulated to hunting in one season. Whereas when you're shooting a compound or a stick bow, you're both hunting in the same season. So to, to intentionally kind of reduce that technology or that effectiveness, quote unquote, of your weapon, um, to not really any benefit except for maybe what's intrinsic to yourself. Um, I think that some people 
just have a hard time wrapping their head around that one. And, and I'll, I'll got to admit, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, or like you'd pointed out there earlier in the podcast, I hunted with a compound for, you know, whatever, 25 years, let's say somewhere roughly in that range. And I had hunting partners that went from shooting a compound to shooting a stick bow. And I thought they're idiots. Yeah. I mean, I was like, why I, I couldn't wrap my head around why they would want to, reduce their effectiveness essentially um certainly reduce their effective range you know yeah. and i don't want to say reduce their effectiveness because it's you know you put the arrow in the right spot and it's going to kill it no matter what you shoot it out of um but it makes it way more challenging to uh to be successful certainly shooting with a stick bow but as you've said on other podcasts man when you put it all together it definitely is a different level on the on the feeling you know the intrinsic feeling of success when you are more involved in making that happen yep no i there's no doubt um about that and i i if i had to pick a weapon meaning i didn't need to fill the freezer and i didn't need to put animals on the ground and, and i've had people say you don't have to shoot stuff like when you work in the outdoor industry you kind of have to kill stuff i mean there's no way around i mean you don't have to but it does it does make a difference and um the schedule we have um you know going from hunt to hunt to hunt i just uh i'm not good enough with a stick bow to have the confidence um to fill the tag as quick or every time with the stick bow if i i it is funner shooting the stick bow you can stump shoot um you definitely see animal behavior a lot more but for me personally, it's not as, uh, as effective, um, you know, cause of the range is the, mm-hmm. is the big one. But I think that, uh, I think it's good having, um, you know, guys like yourself. Um, yeah, there's, there's multiple different people that have kind of, um, dabbled back and forth or, um, have kind of made, um, trad hunting a little bit more known again. Um, you know, in the last few years, just for the simple fact it's known guys going to a trad bow, which I think has been great for the trad community. Um, there's been, um, some back and forth specifically with me that the struggle stick thing, mm-hmm. um, I've pissed a lot of trad guys off. It seems like by calling it a struggle stick, but I, I'm a firm believer. It is a bit of a struggle stick. I mean, they call it a, the hell they call it a deadly, deadly stick, stick, deadly yeah. stick. Yeah. Um, which whatever, I mean, I don't, I'm just, I'm a, I, I mean, I'm a shit talker. I, I make jokes, but Ryan Avery made that T-shirt and it had four arrows below the elk and one two feet above it. Uh, and it said I've struggle stick. Well, <laughs> I couldn't believe guys were getting mad yeah. um, at me for saying that because I'm like, it is a struggle. And they said, well, it's a humble stick. And I'm like, well, that's semantics. I mean, yeah. for me, it was a it's it's it is a struggle um, or humbling, whatever you want to call it. Um especially if you've been pretty proficient with a compound going to it, it's more rewarding by far. I think, um, you get a guy that consistently kills stuff with a trad bow, um, in comparison to a compound guy, the trad bow guys, I I hate to say a better hunter, but I mean, he's got his shit together quite a bit more than most, um, compound guys are going to have. I mean, I proved obviously you can switch, um, but it's not like it was a cakewalk. I mean, I got my ass handed to me. Um, on multiple, you know, different occasions, I was still successful, but I, I put a lot of time into it and still was pretty rough, um, you know, going or whatever. I, 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 um, you know, I think, 
Who is it? Yeti Dave. Oh, I think that uh, what we've got, is he here still? He just left. Yeti, Yeti Dave. Yeti's, uh, D- Yeti Dave is the, he's the R&D guy for Yeti mountain bikes. Oh, okay. Um, so Yeti's probably, Yeti Dave's probably broken, what, every part of his body yeah. twice? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's got like three ankles. Yeah, he, they've had to duct tape. Serious his, R&D. <laughs> oh, they have special insurance for him. Um, they've had to duct tape his, his leg because he snapped it and it kept hitting rocks, spinning in circles. Oh. So they taped it to the crossbar for him to get back. And and Dave back bounces back and forth between trad and compound uh-huh. as well. Um, he's at, down at Rocky Mountain, um, okay. hangs out with those guys. And Dave, how many times did Dave come back and forth? He can't make up his mind. No. I mean, he doesn't know if he's a compound guy or a trad guy. Uh-huh. Um, but he picked up the, the, the compound and shot a spike. He'd hunted for five or six years for elk with a trad bow, picked up the compound and shot a spike at a pretty far distance. But he was like, I mean, what did he He just said it was easier. I mean, it puts flat oh, out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's when you can double or triple your effective range, you know, and, and uh, still get to hunt in the same season at the same yeah. time frame, it's um, – it's there's no denying it's easier and it's not that that makes it good or bad it's just kind of the fact you know the way it is and there's some guys that kind of just have a natural or god-given ability um just like some are you know some people are natural athletes and and some aren't some have to work for it a lot harder but there there are guys that can pick up you know any kind of weapon and and are very proficient at it with what seems like either minimal effort or, or uh, just a short, you know, learning curve. And that's just the reality of it. Some people have to work harder than others. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, I, t- I don't take any offense to the, the term struggle stick myself. Cause it's like, some people are going to struggle with it. Some people it's going to work. Some people it's not, some people are going to have an easier time with it. And, and, uh, I don't think it's, you know, slanderizing, traditional archery or whatever i mean I think there's kind of a um you know a, a funny kind of rivalry maybe between um you know traditional archery and compounds and and i i think it's unfortunate that there are a lot of you know particularly the older school trad guys that you know will refer to a compound as like an arrow flinging device or something to that respect and and i think that there's enough division um, in this world, you know, between hunters and non-hunters that we would be better, um, pl- you know, our, our energy would be better focused on, on combating that than fighting amongst our ranks. And, um, you know, like I said, I don't take any offense between it. I shot a compound for years. I don't shoot one anymore, but I don't have any, you know, several of my hunting partners are compound toting guys and and uh, i don't give them a hard time and or you know if i did it was all in good fun but uh you know i I just think it's unfortunate that guys get a little bit too serious about it and and i you know can't see the levity in it yeah what what made you switch did you know of of the difficulties or the struggles that you were going to experience or what made what made you want to switch to to tread out (laughs) Want is probably not the word that I would have used. It was more like forced. You, you bought. You had to say he was selling trad. You told me you were like, yeah. "Do you think I could?" Then you asked the guy, "Do you think I can still yeah. sell trad bows and shoot a compound?" Right. Or- <laughs> right. So, I, you know, I dabbled in traditional archery my whole life. I started out shooting a stick bow when I was about five years old, and then I got my first compound when I was thirteen. And then I, um, I had an archery shop for a couple of years, um, in the early nineties and I bought a black widow, um, you know, custom, 
uh, recurve at that time. And I hunted with it some and, and, but mostly shot, you know, my compound during that time. And, uh, in the mid nineties, I met, um, Charlie Bisherat, the guy who started Stalker Stick Bows, which was then called Stalker Recurves, which is the company that I'd eventually become, you know, come to own. And, uh, so I hunted, you know, a little bit with a bow that I got from him and I primarily though still hunted with a compound. And then in 2007, I got a phone call out of the blue from Charlie and he's like, Hey, you know, I'm looking to sell my bow company. And at that time it had just been collecting dust. He hadn't done anything with it in about 10 years. And I, I had been in construction for 20 years at that point and I was looking to do something different and, you know, kind of had this opportunity fall in my lap and I, and I've been a lifelong, you know, passionate woodworker. I mean, I think probably the only thing that matches my passion for archery is my passion for woodworking. And so I, you know, came into this opportunity to, to build, you know, bows and kind of combine my two passions together. But the problem was, is <laughs> I was going to, you know, I was looking at having to set down my wheels and, and uh, I wasn't super enthusiastic about that. And it was a real moral um, dilemma for me there at that time when I was presented this opportunity, but ultimately I decided, well, you know, maybe I'll do both or I'll, you know, kind of, I'll try, you know, first I asked Charlie, I said, you know, well, what do you think? Could I shoot a compound and build stick bows? And he kind of laughed at me like I was a moron <laughs> or I had three eyeballs or something. And so it became pretty clear I was going to have to, you know, really embrace traditional um, archery more than what I had been in my past. And so uh, 2008 was the first time in a, in a handful of years I had picked up a stick bow, you know, with any kind of seriousness and, and dedicated a tag to it. And I actually ended up killing a mule deer my first year here in Colorado shooting a stick bow. And, and uh, in every year since then I've shot a mule deer and, and I, it just took me a couple of years to wean off the compound. Um, but yeah, I, I've, uh, I've, you know, fully committed to hunting with a stick bow. Now it's, I became, you know, I think it probably would have been like, you know, that transition I had talked about earlier where a guy, you know, shooting a, shooting a rifle, you know, and, and kind of starts to express an interest in shooting a stick bow and, and, uh, kind of that, those feelings of trepidation i had the same thing you know looking at shooting my compound which i'd been extremely successful with over the years and uh now you know now i'm i feel really comfortable shooting a stick bow and i don't even think about you know when i'm at 60 yards i don't have those oh man if i only had a compound thoughts or you know maybe those same feelings where a guy with a, a rifle at 300 yards and all he sees is wide open country between himself and the in the deer you know i i kind of get a kick out of you know I'll read articles from time to time about rifle hunting and you know the guy's like oh man i got it 560 yards that was as close as i could get yeah <laughs> you yeah. know and it's like you know not taking anything away from the guy but man when you have a stick bow in your hand and you know you need to or you want to be 20 yards or less or 30 or 40 or whatever your effective range is you find ways to get closer and they're really are i mean so many times i've you know glassed up a buck and and then in my initial first 
um, look, it's like, there's no way in hell I'll be able to get close to that animal. And then you sit there and you study the terrain features and then you look closer and it's like, wow, you know, if I did this or did that and, and then pretty soon you pick out a spot and, and, uh, you know, two hours later, you're 15 yards from that thing where you thought that in your first look, there was no way you could get close to it. Yeah, no, I would agree with all of that. Um, but I think you, again, like the, the patience being a better, better field craft or whatever, you definitely, um, you find a way. I yeah. mean, it just, you have to find, you don't have a choice or yeah. you just don't kill shit. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, I don't, uh, I mean, I, 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 I think I'm, I had a, like a, the, the traditional angel over my shoulders and a lot of the cases, there was so much shit that went right for me that I got super, you know, lucky and not just like being able to shoot as much as I can or my schedule, just specific stocks where things came into right. play that just happened that maybe they'd happen more often with a compound if I didn't shoot them at 60 and 80 yards away. I mean, I, I don't shoot everything that far away, but I mean, there's just things that the hunt with Frank is a prime example, 30 mile an hour crosswinds. I could have walked up and stabbed that deer. Yeah. If I wouldn't have had those winds, I wouldn't have killed it in its bed. It didn't sure. want to come out. It was stuck in its bed. Um, I mean, it got to a point where, and, and he was watching it. Um, I was at 12 yards, eight yards. You were throwing rocks at it. He was throwing rocks. He threw a bunch of rocks over it to get it to stand up, and it would yeah. not stand I, up. I grabbed one literally the size of a softball, and I thought, if he doesn't move from this, I'll just kill him out of his bed straight down. Yeah. I threw it. It didn't move. And I'm watching the top three inches of one uh, velvet tine, yep. and it's not moving, and I'm like, man, it's asleep. Right. It's, it's done. And every big gust, I took a step. And then I'd wait, big yeah. gust, I'd take a step. Well, when I got to the top of the rock, it almost blew me off the top of the rock. And I got up there, and it literally, the velvet's five inches below my feet. Yeah. And I looked down, and I can't, I've never shot like that. Yeah. I, I mean, the string was hitting my, you know, my hang down. I'm right. like, okay. <laughs> uh -huh. So I had to re-pivot, and I'm like... I guess this will work. You know, I, have, yeah. I don't, I've never done this before <laughs> and uh, not straight down like that. I've shot straight down at 20, yeah. but I, you know, where this, I've got like shoulders and, and neck to, yeah, to you shoot. Watch it, you watch out know? for shooting yourself in the toe. Oh man, it was crazy. Um, but that just fell into, you know, fell into place, um, amongst many, many other, you know, same issues. But I, I will say like the one thing I found that's helped me out with a compound a lot in this year's Alberta hunt is a good example is it is amazing if you stop, you know, even if they catch movement and you wait long enough, they go back to doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, where I didn't wait that long before cause I would shoot them. Right. Um, where now like, like w with, like, I think I could have killed that, that deer in Alberta with a stick. Well, I'm not sure cause it's a pretty tight gap between the cattails, but I treated it like a trad stock because of the situation sure. I was in. And I was so methodical and I moved so little that, um, mostly cause Lander told me if I shot an arrow past 60 yards, whether I hit it or missed, I had to tag it. Uh -huh. Um, cause he didn't want me flinging arrows a long ways right. away, which was, I totally respected. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I got in there, I was like, okay, I can, I can get closer. And I got closer and then I'm like, I think I can get a little closer. And then pretty soon I'm within 35 yards, but I treated it. I wouldn't have done that the year before the trad bow. I'm quite certain I would have blown those deer out, but after hunting with the trad bow, I learned so much. I, I learned one, move a little, wait a lot, move yep. a little, wait a lot. I mean, when you can, right where I didn't do that shit with a compound. I mean, I never moved a little and waited a lot. I, and 
and and and you you're a sneaky guy to begin with. I have ADD, man. I'm horrible. Lander told me before I left when I went on the stock, if you get down to the cattails, you're gonna have to wait till about five till they stand uh, back up. It was ten thirty, <laughs> I think, when I got down there. I'm like, that's a tough wait. I ain't waiting, right? Yeah, I was like, there's no way I'll find a way. But I wouldn't have, you know, the the trad boat taught me that to be a lot more patient. Right. I mean, just flat out. So, well, how is Stalker doing? I mean, you've grown a lot, haven't you? Yeah, um, <clears throat> we've uh, definitely grown a lot, and I say we. It's Jake and I, um, and before it was just me, but. Um, We've, uh, we've definitely expanded quite a bit and I've got a lot of people to thank a lot of, you know, loyal customers and, and, uh, um, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I think that the traditional bow, you know, being a boyer and there's, I don't know how many there is across the United States. Let's say there's, you know, that the guys that actually do it full time for a living, um, talking with, uh, you know, one of the ad guys there, traditional bow hunter in the past, he's, you know, like, well, maybe there's a dozen that do it full time. Um, and I would say that, you know, if you're looking at guys that are doing it part time and have a, you know, a quote unquote real job also, or another source of income that might be 50 or 60, or maybe it's more, you know, I, I'm not really certain, but there's not a lot of, uh, of people that are doing it. And really every bow you make is, you know, it's a handcrafted piece of, you know, a piece of uh, art, essentially. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of work that goes into it. So it's a slow process. I mean, it takes us, um, I think on our best month so far, we put out two dozen bows. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take a lot, you know, of orders to get backed up. And, and uh, what, at, what is your lead time now? Right now I'm running three to four months mm -hmm. and I would be shorter than that. But that moved to Colorado. I was down for four or five months. So it kind of backed things up on me. And, and I'm hoping to get down to closer to like six to eight weeks on a turnaround time. Yeah. So that'll be, you know, coming up this year. And I'm actually um, looking at hiring on another guy and, and maybe I'll, kind of plug that towards the end of the podcast here um, as far as what I'm looking for. But, uh, you know, we're, we're growing um, not to the rate Kafaru is growing, but we are certainly, you know, on the upswing. And, and I think moving here to Colorado has been, uh, well, I knew, you know, even before I moved, I was part of the push for my wife was like, Hey, this is going to be a great business move for me. I mean, we were, in a really isolated part of California, you know, you think California, you think of the beaches in Southern California and mass thousands, millions of people. And that's just not the reality where I was at. I was in a, you know, the extreme Northwestern corner of California, five hour drive to San Francisco. And, you know, in the 10 years I had my shop there, I think I probably, well, I know that I had more people visit in the first four months of my shop in Colorado, even before I was set up, than I had in 10 years there in Northern yeah. California. So, you know, and then the, just the proximity to be able to, you know, hit more of these shoots on the front range and just being exposed to that many more uh, bow hunters, um, it, it's going to be a great, you know, transition for me. And, and I anticipate that, you know, the business will grow even faster than it has been to, you know, to this point. Yeah. No, that's good. And I mean, I, I will say the bow I got from you is a work of art. It, that thing is beautiful. Um, I, uh, getting going from a compound where two weeks, three weeks was like, you know, the end of the world waiting to, yeah. I looked at, um, 
probably six different bows and three of them were a year out. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have that in me. I don't. Sure. Uh, I'm not a bow connoisseur. Like I'm not going to collect them. I needed a freaking bow. I wanted to, and that's the way my mentality is. I wanted to shoot a bow right then. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, one thing that was nice is I had buddies that had your bows. I had buddies that had a few different other types that I could, you know, shoot and try out and see what I'd like. Um, and so, I mean, that's the one I'm not a pretty bow guy in the sense of like, I like the way you build yours because mm-hmm. they come out pretty. Um, and this is a very redneck way to explain it. I really don't need um, 14 elk in a herd on the side of my bow, like sure. engraved in. Right. I just want the wood to look good. I, yeah. I want it. So some of the bows I looked at were like $5,000 yeah. and um, I'm not easy on my equipment. And I'm like... Okay, that's hanging on the wall. If I, I mean, I'm not going to shoot that thing. I'd be scared to death. Where I'd say your bows are very good looking, but functional bows, because sure. um, you do such a, uh, or you guys do such a good job on um, the wood, the matching of the wood, basically. And and I mean, you put you might I would imagine you have OCD like a son of a bitch. I would think, don't you? <laughs> um, what well, I, I do you? I mean, would have just people say that? I mean, only looking at your posts. If I uh-huh. never met you. Yeah. When you're laying wood side by side and talking about the grain and every, I'm like, this guy's got OCD, I bet. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's kind of, I don't know if I qualify, quantify myself as that, but I mean, I think ADD, I certainly do. I'll walk through my <laughs> shop and uh, I'll get distracted by a piece of wood right in the middle of building a bow. And then the next thing I know, I'm making up a stock bow or yeah. cutting veneers just because I want to see what's inside that piece of wood. So. Yeah. You know, I certainly um, have developed an eye for, you know, matching woods and and, uh, I'm a total wood junkie. I mean, where some guys might have, you know, a a wall of surfboards or, um, you know, something else that they really appreciate um, from an art standpoint or just a collection. Man, I'm a wood junkie. I've got more wood in my shop than I could probably build bows with in the next five or 10 years. And I'm still buying wood just because, you know, I'm always looking for that every piece is so unique. That's the thing. It's not like, you know, um, you go buy a painting. Well, a painting would be a good example there too, from a different, you know, different artists, but each wood, you know, each piece of wood or new species offers something different. And I'm just a, you know, total junkie when it comes to that. Yeah. And I mean, the once a week, I think about shooting a trad bow full time. I think, you know, I'll just drive to your shop and walk in circles with you to pick the wood out. Um, because I, you know, I shot, I got made fun of so much about shooting a, a soulless piece of shit because I had an aluminum riser uh-huh. um, last year uh, or the year before. But I, I mean, to me, it, it's hard for me to shoot an ugly bow. Sure. And I mean, there is a joke they say at Rocky Mountain and Dave, they'll be like, it's a pretty bow, which means it shoots like shit, right. but it's uh-huh. pretty, right? <laughs> well, for me, it, you also have to feel tough or confident for me in the way that it looks. And I thought, well... Man, if I do this full time again, I'm just going to go up and it's hard to do it online for me uh, when you don't know, like, I don't know the names of all the woods. And um, so I pay attention to your posts and and I take notes because I'm like, I'm never going to remember what the hell he just said. Um, Bacotti, I remember that one frequently. Pretty well. Uh, Yeah, but I don't, um, you know, it it was a brand new, I never even thought about shooting a trad bow. I sent out a text message to like 10 guys and I was like, I'm switching. I'd sold probably 
10 grand in compound shit in a week. Uh-huh. I mean, I had to get rid of it because I knew right. I wouldn't. It's like a cookie. Yeah, going on a diet and you have a, a yeah. <laughs> closet full of, of crappy food, well, you're going to dip into it. I have a, a, the ability to not put it in the house, uh-huh. but once it's in the house, yep. I'm going to eat fair it. fair game. Right? Yeah. Yep. And so I got rid of all that stuff. And he picked, Frank picked up a, a recurve for a while. You went turkey hunting and then. He came back and was like, the trad life's not for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I missed a turkey by like four feet at 10 yards. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to hold off on this until I get some more uh, compound kills under my belt. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and, uh, but, uh, you know, in all seriousness, the, uh, you know, as far as like the, the bows or whatever, you do make some of the best looking bows. I've only shot the one, really. I tried to shoot Avery's. He's a midget. He's got uh-huh. a 26 inch draw right. and he's got hands. You ever seen his hands? Uh-uh. Uh, I mean, it's like you cut him off right here. His fingers are like that long. So his you had to file his grip down like four times, didn't you? I could, it could have been. It's quite a while ago yeah. I built his bow. Yeah. But yeah, he um um I try I was gonna shoot his and I mean there were so many different things different trad guys told me over time. One was Lander told me he goes, eventually you're not gonna say I could have killed it with my compound or mm-hmm. or anything. I, I never got to that point, but he said it would happen. Sure. Um Another thing the clums told me, I guarantee this year you're going to kill an arrow or kill an animal on a second or third arrow. Yep. That happened the first hunt. Right. I mean, <laughs> and, and I wasn't used to that. Um, uh-huh. And that, that people told me you're going to miss and you're going to have no idea why. Yep. That happened. Yep. I All three arrows, I wasn't sure what happened on, uh, you know, so there was a lot of things that, you know, I had um, a lot of people helping me. It short, you know, the learning curve was uh, much different for me because I had people helping me out. I the biggest thing was uh, that I liked the best was stump shooting. Sure, you get to do that shit with a compound. I mean, yeah. you're not flinging arrows at more than one or two stumps, especially right. shooting eighty five pounds. Yeah, you're either burying it, you yeah. know, or breaking it. One yeah, of the two. Watch it skittering a quarter mile away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we did a lot of stump shooting, which was super fun. But I mean, I, I, I if I did it uh, again, I don't, I don't think I would have changed. Um, I wouldn't have changed, you know, anything. I think that the, what I would do now if I shot again is I definitely would spend a bit more time, um, the bow part of it, like really, um, you know, getting the bow, uh, more honed in rather than just grabbing whatever I possibly could and, sure. and shooting it. Cause I think, you know, eventually like with the one I was shooting, it did become a, an extension of my body, but I can pick up any compound and shoot it really well. I cannot do that not even remotely close with a, a trad bow for some reason, some of them just hit two feet left or, or whatever. Have you found that with screwing around? Yeah. There's some bows that just will work for you and some that don't. And some of them that you really want them to work for you, but you're going to fight them. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, maybe not to this degree, but some women are going to work for you. Yeah. And some aren't, you know, and some are going to work. They're going to work just fine for the next guy. Yeah. I just had a customer. It was kind of interesting. I bought one of my stock bows and, and, uh, he, you know, picked it up right out of the box and it shot just, he was shooting the best groups of his life, but he had a, he was getting a noise from it that I was trying to help him through. And we went back and forth, even to the point where he sent me some videos and it was a little tick sound that he was getting from the lower limb. And, uh, and he ended up figuring out that it was the string, um, and, uh, he put a different string on it. And I mean, I sell the same strings, same manufacturer, same material, um, to all my customers. And for some reason, this particular guy with this particular setup, um, 
the string was just making a weird noise for him and he put a different string on it, a different material and it, and it fixed it. Yeah. Um, but you'll get all kinds of, you know, goofy little things like that that'll come up from time to time. And it may be that, you know, one particular bow just doesn't work for a guy. Um, and it could even be made by the same boyer from one bow to the next because you're dealing with, you know, uh, um, natural man, uh, natural materials and then a man-made product that's, you know, not exactly the same from one to the next so well i had a machine riser on the one i was shooting and i had what four at one time i think and i got two of them close and one of them i took a file and just filed the shelf inward i couldn't get it to hit the same yeah. same bows right same limbs say the probably the one of the highest dollar limbs on the market i couldn't get them to hit in the same spot i just shot the one and it hit where I was aiming, the other one didn't. And so yeah. I just started filing shit off until I finally got it to hit the same, which shouldn't happen with an aluminum riser right. bow, but it, it did. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was one, I'm not going to mention the bow company specifically because they're a great bow company, very well known. They made me a custom bow. They were super cool. They sent it in like 10 minutes. It, it went back in the box. I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I shot it and I couldn't hit shit. Yeah. I mean, and I'm literally sitting on three bows behind me that I'm shooting I, I would say consistently I can keep it in a softball at 20 and occasionally drop one out. Mm-hmm. And we're talking stop signs. I just couldn't hit yeah. anything with it. Nothing, like you said, nothing wrong with that bow, but it, it wasn't for me. And right. um, I I sent it back and called them, and I'm like, look, I'm sorry. It's a beautiful piece of machinery. I mean, it's amazing. I can't shoot your bow. I just can't. And I felt horrible. I had my name on it, and I felt like mm-hmm. a dick, but I just couldn't hit anything with sure. it. Um, where other ones I've shot and immediately picked up and – Shot yeah. just fine, so it's definitely a big difference. Yeah, there's. I mean, I, I think as a, as a boyer, you know, and and I mean, kind of, you go from uh, being a manufacturer to you know, kind of crossing that, blurring that line to being an artist, and it's um, as you know, you're building, um, you know, a very small production level. I mean, we might build a couple hundred bows a year. Then it kind of feels like you're, you know putting a part of your soul into each of those bows and and it can be challenging um you know as a builder not to become offended when somebody has you know takes you know issue or has a problem with one of your bows or whatever but after a while you just have to realize that every bow i mean that's why there's so many different options out there is the way i look at it is that something i build might not fit everybody you know Mm -hmm. it might fit most people but it's not going to fit everybody and uh so you know you see a lot of of bows float around there in the used bow market where some of them might be where a guy just uh you know bought one it didn't work out for him so he sells it or and there's a lot of guys that just love buying bows and they gotta sell one to finance the next one yeah and uh, I had a guy that wanted to buy one of my stock bows just the other day. And he's like, he thought that, um, you know, it's like, well, I see that, um, you know, that there's some sharp lines in it where you miss sanding it. And, and it's like, uh, no, that's actually intentional. You know, yeah. it's an aesthetic thing that I put in where I round the edge of the riser and then leave it, you know, a hard line as it rounds into the limbs and, and uh, um, you know, it just may be that aesthetically that that didn't work for that guy, Yeah. but it wasn't an accident. You know, it wasn't an omission on my part. It was just something aesthetically that I do. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, uh, yeah, I'll have to come up off the, well, we were going to go up this weekend and it didn't work out up to Estes and then swing by and see the, you know, the shop for sure. What do you think, uh, uh, 
which this is a super blanket question. I hate when people ask me shit like this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, where do you see it going? Um, I mean, do you have any, like, do you have like the, the building block of where you're wanting to get to, or you just try to not ever have a real job again and build bows. Yeah. I, well, both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to have a real job. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm fortunate in that I get to get up every morning and go out to my shop and not feel like it's a job. Yeah. And, uh, that's one of the things that, um, really inspired me to, to take on this company. Cause I knew that, I mean, I enjoyed doing what I did in construction from a woodworking standpoint. Um, but you're dealing with a different type of clientele. I mean, the customers that I have now um, with almost 100% um, without exception, every one of them is just great people. Yeah. And it's like they're calling, you know, the North Pole and talking to Santa Claus in, in order in their Christmas present. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm just one of the elves that's building it. And it's a pretty neat relationship, pretty neat, you know, place for me to be as a business owner. Um, and I, that's why I'd like it to be for the rest of my life. And I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to continue to grow the company. I'm somewhat restricted on space where I'm at right now. I went from a 4,400 square foot shop where I moved from California to one that's, you know, I probably have, you know, about half the square footage where I'm at now. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of, having to be more efficient and, yeah. uh, and then getting rid of a bunch of crap I didn't need to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but eventually, I mean, I would like to have, um, you know, a handful of employees and, and I'd like to be at that stage where if a guy's wanting to start shooting, you know, a stick bow that stalker stick bows is the company that comes to mind, you know, first and foremost. And, and, uh, that's kind of, you know, where I'd like to be. And I, and I, would love to be doing this into my seventies, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and I don't think that, um, there's a reason why I couldn't be. There's a lot of boyers that are of that vintage that are still going strong and some that are even older than that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually someday I'll have an exit plan, you know, but I, I don't foresee when that's going to be. And, and when that time comes, I hope that I'll have a good crew of guys that are working for me that want to keep it going and, and, uh, you know, maybe take the, take the leadership at that point. Gotcha. Well, when's the next, uh, stalker, uh, uh, video coming out? Well, we're editing one right now, actually. Um, yeah. and it's been a work in progress the last four years, you know, kind of accumulating footage and it's going to be a mule deer video again. Um, I did some elk hunting though. It was hunting and not shooting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I will certainly not profess to be a, um, a knowledgeable or expert elk hunter, um, as I've seemed to have carved out a pretty good niche with my passion for mule deer hunting. Um, but we're working on editing it right now. And uh, I think there's, I don't know, four or five, maybe more hunts. I haven't even really yeah. counted them up, to be honest with you. But um, quite a few successful mule deer hunts in, in Nevada and uh, Colorado. So, uh, I'm hoping the first quarter of this year, it'll be out. Um, maybe I uh, wait till after the draws so that if someone, you know, gets on Google earth and picks out my spot, <laughs> then they'll miss the application period. <laughs> that That's no bullshit either. Um, yeah. we've had, I mean, Frank's been undercover brother really good with his, my spots, they're pretty blown out because of photography yeah. and just flat out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th I, I think you definitely put yourself in the right 
place as far as, I mean, you know, you've hunted Colorado forever. Yeah. Um, it's a good place that too. And I mean, it is nice where, you know, if you do tag out early on mule deer, a lot of spots you can just transfer right over sure. and start hunting elk, which is yeah. nice or, or whatever. Are you going to try and go to Alberta? I know you had talked about it before. Yeah. So I've got a guy that I, um, that invited me to come up to do a, um, a deer hunt up there a couple of years ago. And I just haven't been able to get my schedule to mesh with his. I don't have the infinite amount of hunting time. Well, it was never infinite, but there's much opportunity to go in the field as I used to back when I was single. And then my wife and I adopted three foster kids almost four years ago now. So, you know, it was like all of a sudden we went from empty nesters to uh, having triplets. Yeah. Yeah. That'll keep you busy. <laughs> yeah. So that, uh, that kind of slowed things up a bit, but um, I, I'm going to pull a limited entry uh, elk permit for Colorado this year. And then I'm hoping to, um, I'll probably have to buy a landowner tag for, um, for Colorado this year. Cause I drew last year. And then Nevada's getting tougher and tougher. So I'm probably looking at two hunts and then maybe if I can uh, twist my wife's arm, I'll make it up there to, to uh, Alberta and cash in on that opportunity up there. Yeah, I, I think you, I mean, I don't, I've only hunted the one area in uh, Alberta, but as far as um, uh, technical hunting, it, you'll like it. I yeah. mean, it's just the deer, they must get road hunted or I, it's a... I've never seen deer that skittish. I mean, it, they are very, very skittish. And so, um, I'm not exactly great at still hunting. So when you see them in that, you know, the area we hunt, when they drop into these big coolies or canyons, you're kind of still spotting. You're you're basically, and you got to really pick your shadows and your corners and, and really glass a lot. I mean, your, my binoculars never leave my hand every step I'm glassing. And then once you finally find where they've went, then, you're starting your, your stock. Sure. Um, the fact that does blow out, um, for a mile is a problem, right? Yeah. They, when they see you and they blow out, they clear the Canyon out like a tidal wave. Um, so you may only blow one out, but as you watch down the Canyon, then it's three, then it's seven, mm-hmm. then it's 15. Right. And then you're done for the day. Cause you got to go find, or you, you're yeah. done. Cause you got to go find a new Canyon. So it was interesting for me. Um, uh, just for the simple fact, like, you know, you've never done it. So it's brand new and you have all the preconceived ideas of what it's going to be like, which it was not like any of that at all. Um, but I mean, I, I can't complain. I shot a big deer there, uh, two years ago. I shot a decent deer there this year. And then I was with Broderick when he shot his, um, Roderick's was crazy. Did you see his deer? No, I didn't. I, I heard the podcast, but I didn't see any pictures. It was like narrow palmated, tall like a crazy crazy deer um and uh uh lander told broderick he said you don't shoot that deer aaron will kill it guaranteed aaron (laughs) will shoot that deer um just because we're unique right Right. i mean i'll shoot it i like shooting shit um but we got you know in there and um i was right behind broderick to the point when he drew his bow back i had to i had to lean back so my elbow didn't hit him when i was filming Uh and uh it definitely lit the fire a little bit for the trad stuff for me because he Frank doesn't shoot a trad bow. Frank's about the only guy I really hang out with any consistency. My buddy Cody, he doesn't shoot one. And so being right behind him, I was like, I was more excited sure. than him. Yeah. I mean, my heart rate didn't go up when I shot my deer. I was uh-huh. jacked through the fucking roof right. when I was with Broderick. Right. And when we saw it come over, um, you know how you get into like um, 
to a zone where you start doing dumb shit. I mean, you mm-hmm. can anyway. Maybe you're not as methodical. Right. Or usually, um, I don't have that happen anymore. This time, Broderick's, I'm just standing behind him. And so, at a certain point, he said three things that were very key. One of, is there up feeding? And there's lots of those. I just sat my fat ass down. I'm like, I'll move when he tells me to. Yeah. I can't see. And he was able to get in front of it, literally to where it crossed 12 yards below us and heart shot it. You don't get that as much with the compound. It just doesn't happen as much. It can. Yeah. It just doesn't generally. So for me, you know, being that close and then I screwed up the film though, right when he shot it, I, I was literally in awe. You know, I dropped <laughs> it. I gave him high five because I just, I hadn't done it for a year for yeah. one. And then why I never watched somebody else do it with a trad bow, right. not behind him. So it was pretty, I definitely was like. Yeah, I could. I can see why I like this so much. It was pretty cool, but um, and I think you'd like it for that reason. You get, you're you're going to get one good stock a day, yeah. but you're going to see fifty, sixty bucks or or twenty. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of figure it out from there what's most feasible. So it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I've hunted Alberta a couple of times with the compound. Um, a couple different outfitters, and yeah. and man, they the <laughs> genetics up there are just unbelievable. I mean. You know, not only do you get big antlers, but the body size on them too is huge. Yeah. There's just some incredible deer and, and, uh, some challenging, you know, can be some challenging country depending on where you're hunting them. If it's not broken up enough and, and, uh, you know, particularly if you're hunting that ag stuff, then, and, uh, they've cut the fields and it can be really challenging getting close, but man, just the, the quality of the deer is, is unreal. Um, which I kind of, we haven't brought this one up, but, uh, one of the things, you know, making that transition from shooting a compound to shooting a stick bow, um, I find now that rather than hunting specific bucks, like if I, you know, was out with a compound and I, you know, I'd set myself a target of say, I wanted to shoot 170 inch buck, if that's what, you know, the area and genetics and age class would support. Now I'm looking for more of the right opportunity. And, you know, to a degree, there's some antler size or age class that factors into it as well. I'm not going to um, go shoot a, a fork spike or something like that. If uh, that's, you know, if that deer is bedded in a perfect spot, I'll still pass it. Um, you know, because I've shot enough deer over the years that I'm, I still want to try to shoot a mature buck, but I'm not necessarily going to be holding out for a certain number of inches. Um, it's more of you know, oh, that deer's in a cool spot or that would be a fun experience, you know, stalking that specific animal. And so it becomes more about the opportunity versus um, the animal necessarily. Whereas, you know, before I would, I might be more inclined to force a stock um, with my compound on a deer that I you really wanted that specific buck. Now I'm, I'm you know, going to pass a 200 inch buck that beds in a, in a tough spot and I'll go stock a 140 or 150 or 160 class buck in the shadow of that other buck, just cause that one, you know, I know that I can get in on within my effective range on. Yeah. Broderick uh, said the exact same. He get, he said, I hunt the shot. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't uh, hunt the animal meaning yeah. I'm waiting for a perfect shot, uh, which rings pretty true. I mean, it, it's, I mean, I know for me, I was just hunting whatever I could really shoot. Like sure. I just was trying to get to, cause I hadn't shot anything with it. It just, um, the, the, the one big buck happened. It just, it just happened to be a Sometimes giant buck. It works out yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't, I mean, and I've told a ton of people this, I'm like, that thing could have been 140 inch eight point a four by four. Yeah. It just happened to be in the one eighties and in a good spot. And it just, 
it wouldn't have mattered what it was, but it was that type of an approach embedded away and everything you hope for, yeah. you know, in a stock. And I definitely, um, that is one good thing with me with a trad bow because I am a horrible trophy hunter. Almost everything's a trophy with a, a trad bow. I mean, everything yeah. is a trophy with a trad bow, but meaning there's not very much that I'm going to be like, oh no, I'm going to wait for something bigger. I'm usually like, yeah, that'll work. I'm going to go kill that one. Um, which is good with the trad bow because, um, you don't get a lot of, um, I don't think you get a lot of perfect opportunities. Um, yeah. And I think with, um, with, I think with mule deer, I hate to say it's easier. I think it is more, um, conducive high country mule deer to stick bow hunting than, than maybe even elk hunting in a lot of areas just cause you can get them bedded down. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more difficult with elk trying to call them in and, and, uh, you know, they're moving and there's obstacles in the way where you can kind of reposition yourself some with bedded animals. Um, so I, I, I would probably, I say probably, I'd become much more of a mule deer hunter if I started shooting a stick bow more often because I like shooting them when they're, when they're in their bed. It, it, elk's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, probably why you don't hunt elk is often <laughs> just not your passion. Um, how many elk have you killed? Oh, uh, I haven't with my stick bow and I've shot, I don't know, maybe four bulls with the compound. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, Frank's in the same boat. Frank's a huge mule deer hunter, and he makes fun of me frequently for uh, for elk hunting. But high country mule deer, just the physical aspect of it is a big, you know, cool part of it for me. I like the, I, I like being able to backpack in and, and everything else. But uh, Yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the things that really appeals to me with mule deer is that, um, you know, it's not just hunting mule deer, but it's the country they inhabit. And, you know, when you're on top of that ridge and, you have a 360 degree view that could be a postcard anywhere that you look. I mean, that's really what revs me up. I, I was telling you before we started recording, my wife and I started, um, we hiked 750 miles of the Pacific crest trail, um, kind of doing a week a year on our honeymoon. Um, we kind of extended it out, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's like you get those panoramic views and you stop and it's just, there's something about um, feeling like, you know, you're an ant when you're up there that it's that, you know, that humbling feeling of being small and insignificant and uh, and being able to see that country that 99.9 percent of the people in the United States will never step foot up and see, you know, that might open a National Geographic and uh, and, you know, see a. Um, a photo essay on some wilderness area and that's as close as they're going to get to seeing those mountain peaks and what have you. But, um, you know, if, if, uh, if I was strictly a mule deer hunter and wanted to kill the you know biggest mule deer, then I probably would focus my efforts on, you know, that lower country, you know, desert, you know, country mule deer where, um, you know, a lot of the deer just get driven by, um, and it might be more effective, but I just, I can't leave the mountains, man. I just, I absolutely love that country up there and, and, uh, the physical, you know, challenging aspect of it, the thin air, you know, every, every time you go up there, you, you know, kind of kick yourself that you didn't spend more time preparing for it from a physical standpoint. And, and then, uh, you know, you just never know what the weather's going to do for you. You'll you'd be getting a sunburn one day and then, um, two hours later you're getting snowed on or rained on and, and, uh, you know, everything that, that whole thing and, and the backpacking, the camping, the, um, you know, utilizing your, your woodsmanship. And I think that's a dying, 
um, a dying skill set, you know, and, and more and more people are relying on um, technology or thinking that, you know, buying a more expensive this or a more expensive that or another one of these is going to get them away from having to, to uh, spend that time learning about how to survive and, and, uh, and, and survive is maybe a too strong of a word, but how to cope and be comfortable, you know, in the mountains. No, I think that's for, uh, I mean, it's coming from a gear junkie, but I've talked about it all the time. Um, you know, field craft or, you know, it, it certainly helps you. I mean, it, it, it one, it makes you more fearless cause you know mm-hmm. what you're capable of. Um, I mean, a lot of trips that, that we go on, we'll have a, a sat phone yeah. and just get dropped off and then we'll end up wherever we end up. It, it makes for you, you find a lot more cooler country where yeah. you don't have a destination to come back to. You just end up where you end up. Um, but I think that, um, from talking with lots of different people that, um, there's a lot of fear there. And I think that fear comes one, obviously experience, but two, a lack of field craft because yeah, they right. just don't feel comfortable, you know, doing, um, you know, what, what, yeah, I hate to bring up the age group, but I mean, more people I know that are older may, like you said, it's a dying, it's a dying yeah. craft. Um, you, you I mean, you're not that far f- from where you're from, where I'm from, where, you kind of, I was raised splitting firewood. I had a chainsaw in my hand at a very young age. Um, I worked on a trail crew for the forest service, which is how I got into backpack hunting. Um, you know, and those things are kind of gone now and we answer enough questions to where, uh, I'll get 45 questions on what jacket, what optics, what bow, what broadhead, but not one guy will ask me how to use a compass. Yeah. Um, it's just how it is these, you know, it's kind of changing, but I think, um, with the podcast and being able to teach people and, and talking about it like we are, it seems to be, I say helping, but I mean, it seems to be definitely, um, you know, teaching a lot of different people, maybe some certain things they're leaving out of their arsenal. But. Well, I think there's a real interest in it too. It's just, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't have that background growing up. I mean, I, I grew up and I, I mean, I had a, you know, my parents were throwback hippies and, and, uh, I had, you know, an outhouse and a good portion of the homes I lived in when I was growing up, didn't have electricity, sometimes didn't have running water. And, uh, you know, it was free to roam in the, in the mountains and, and didn't have to worry about property boundaries. And, you know, and, uh, so there's a lot of people that just, you know, they didn't have that reality. And yeah. so things that you learn when you're a kid that you just, totally take for granted you building a fire, you know, yeah. and I don't know how many fires I started when I was a kid and, and some adults growing up in the city, you know, maybe the only fire they ever built was in a fireplace that they, you know, that they had there with a Presto log. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's, there's, you know, a real different background, but at the same time, you know, they can pick up a phone they've never seen before, navigate around it. And, and, uh, I don't have that skill set. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. Uh, where we went in not too far from where you met us when we were hiking in with Brian's elk, we, we passed a guy, Brian will talk to any, right. I'm, I'm not as, I'm a bit more antisocial. Brian just st- snapped uh-huh. a conversation and he's, uh, he's orienteering. Right. And, and, uh, I can't remember if he'd seen the podcast we'd done on land nav or if we sent him to that, but he was telling me kind of where he was at and what he was doing. And, um, Brian's kind of a GPS guy where I'm more of a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever manual dude. And so I was talking to the guy and he said, well, I'm getting to the point now. Well, I'm p- pre-picking destinations on the map and, and, and navigating to those without a, a GPS. Uh-huh. And, um, 
I, I didn't want to come off as, uh, I didn't want to be like, well, tell me what you're doing. I'll tell you what you're doing wrong type of thing. Right, I just right. was like, well, man, you got any, you got any questions? And, uh, he said, well, and he started talking about, uh, you know, he's drifting off his azimuth. And I said, well, are you sure you're drifting or did you calibrate off the declination diagram? Did you, did you deduct? Uh, and right. he didn't. And I'm like, well, dude, you can end up way, way Yeah, way <laughs> off. And he goes, well, I'm ending, you know, every thousand yards, three to 500 yards off. And so I drew it out and I explained mm-hmm. it. Um, dude, he sends me messages constantly now on the podcast. And he was as city-fied as you could get. Mm-hmm. And, but he went to REI. He did a basic land nav course. He wanted to get into backpacking and, uh, which is, I mean, it's nothing to do with hunting, right? He's not a hunter. Um, but he just had wanderlust and wanted to head out in the woods. And then now I'll get some crazy questions from him because he'll be like, hey, I'm thinking about wearing sock liners. Are those new? And I'm like, <laughs> they're actually now not as cool as they used to be, right? right? I'm like, right. you really don't need sock liners anymore, but try them out, you know, yeah. or whatever. And uh, he'll be like, hey, do the stiff boot thing. Should I wear stiff boots or should I? And I'm like, I think you should wear what you want to wear. I right. truly think you, it, it is dependent upon the person. Um, but now he's thinking about hunting. Um, he's right like, on. man, it seems like this is kind of cool. And he goes, I, I, I never imagined you can actually shoot something and eat it all year. And I'm like, dude, if you want to try some elk, bear, mule deer, sheep, mm-hmm. come on over. I'll give you whatever you want to yeah. try it. I mean, our, my haircut lady, um, we get our haircut at the same spot. Um, you know, small world. I gave her a bunch of moose. Um, she gave it to your haircutter lady. Yeah. So she shared it with everyone. And then it turns out as time goes on, uh, she's trained. She goes to the gym with, uh, Luke Cadillo. He owns gladiators unleashed the uh, hunting show. Yeah. Small world. Right. So then now, um, you know, as far as spreading the word about right. hunting, they knew me as just a dude that came in that took photos. Yeah. And then now they're like, I mean, every time I come in, there's some kind of a hunting question and it's a good way to get people oh, into the man. sport. And, 100%. You know, see that we're not a bunch of Neanderthals. Or even basically. turn, you know, a, a non or anti hunter into somebody, you know, who's okay with it that might yeah. otherwise just as easily met the wrong person. Yeah. And, uh, you know, been confronted with, uh, you know, uh, uh, something, you know, on a trailhead coming out and had somebody rude and then turned them away from hunting for the rest of, you know, their life. So it's those kind of, um, hunter, uh, non-hunter interactions are so important. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things I'm really happy about, about podcasts. Um, and I suppose it depends on who you're listening to or, um, you know, social media. I, I cringe a lot of times at the social media stuff. I'll post up a picture. I, I, I had one of my customers shoot a mountain goat and, uh, and maybe I don't have a broad enough range of, uh, of exposure that I get a lot of hate, Yeah. but, um, the amount of hate from this customer's mountain goat picture that I posted up and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I just dismissed it. Didn't bother me. I mean, I knew, yeah. I know that there's anti hunters out there and people who have strong feelings about that. But what was disappointing was seeing the response from some of my fellow hunters and, you know, kind of the, the backlash and, and, uh, you know, a lot of profanity and, yeah. and, uh, and all this. And it's, I don't feel like that's a productive way to, to respond. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certainly, you're never going to turn anybody's, you know, not that some of the, not that you can turn everybody's mind, but you know, there's going to be other non hunters that see that post that see the react, the reaction from that other person and the profanity they use. 
and it's going to turn them one direction or another yeah. and or make an impression at the very least. And, uh, and I, I would, I would uh, um, really caution people to think about what they're posting up there um, and uh, not just from a response, but maybe even some of the pictures, you, you know, you'll see occasionally that are just like, oh, geez, you know. Yeah, yeah try to make them. <laughs> I, I don't mind seeing on a private, like there's certain, I don't, I like seeing entrance and exit holes. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a good idea to be putting those maybe on social media. Sure. I mean, one of the things that really kind of, you know, being a, a dumb, I hate to say it, but dumb kind of redneck background of who cares about liberals and it doesn't matter. I'm do what I want to do. Several years ago, I went on a backpacking trip with a bunch of people from REI, which has actually found a, a hunting spot. I told you about that, that one last year. Uh-huh. I think your buddy ended up going there in there. Um, but anyway, we went way back in there. They had no idea I was a hunter. Um, and I didn't want to really tell sure. them, right? You didn't I, I just out yourself. <laughs> yeah. So we get back there. Um, I don't know. Have you ever been to Bent Gate Mountaineering? No. Um, it's a mountaineering store right up the road. He was one of the guys uh, that was with us, and I was like a a suction, like a like a sponge. These mm-hmm. guys had climbed Everest, like everywhere, sure. and so I'm just listening, yeah. right? And we got back there, and I'm looking around, and they're like, "What are you doing?" And I had binoculars, and I'm like. Um, I'm looking for mule deer. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, watch. And I, I, they never would have known they were there. And I'm pointing them out. And they're like, are you a photographer? And I'm like, and at that time I wasn't. I'm like, I'm a hunter. I, I said, I, I hunt these things. And um, I'm kind of figuring out where I might go hunting. And immediately out of the 10 people, there was nine. Seven of them were like immediately intrigued. And two of them were like, fuck you. Uh-huh. And uh, they were like, so how's this work? you hike in? And I'm like, yeah. And you carry it out on your back. I said, so right now, and I break down into my hunting mode. I'm like, here's what would happen. And I was uh, like, they're going to feed. Uh, the sun's going to move. I'm like, they're going to have to shift around. They're going to bed. And I'm like, they're going to probably get up and move around a little bit from their burst bedding spot, but then they're going to plant. Generally they get back up to 10 to noon. And then again at two. So I got a window and here's what the thermals are doing. And like, literally they're like, yeah. Just listen. And I was like, uh, to blow in their minds. Yeah. And I said, so once that happens, you break it down, you cut up all the meat, you get it off the mountain, you take it to the processor and it's like buying steak. And they're like, and you pack it from here out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you hope to, right? I mean, that's right. the end goal. That's the and they literally thought that all hunters just pop shit out the window, leave the rack. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, the rack for me is just not that big of a deal. And I said, uh, I would I would actually probably camp right where we are because there's no deer in this specific area. I can see so far. So I've got a good glassing spot. I've got water down here. And I said, and I'm covered a little bit from the wind and just a little little distance I can get out of the weather if needed. And I mean, I, I said, honestly, one of the reasons I went with you guys is I, I don't have that big of a hub to learn from um, for backpack hunting and gear. You guys have done shit I'll never do. I've never climbed Everest. One climbed the largest mountain in Peru, and I can't remember the name of it. He had just gotten back. Dude was just a hes a fucking machine. Uh, I mean, we talk about hiking, training hikes. This guy hiked my ass into the ground. Like, I thought I was something. And then, you know, I'm like, so, dude, what do you – and I'm asking about his diet and what he brings for backpacking food. And it was huge for me because, one, it was uh, not to get, you know, kumbaya. It was a bonding relationship mm-hmm. from basically – you know, a Russian and American type sure. of thing like that. Right. And then the other two, when the other seven kind of started digging in on it, 
they turned from like it was two it was two women. It didn't matter women or man, but then they were kind of intrigued by the fact like you carry it out. They were right. like, so how do you do that? And I said, well, one of them worked at the store, and I when I came in, I asked her. I said, I need stiff boots. I carry really heavy loads, heavy in a backpack. I mean, he's sixty pounds. Sure. And yeah, I said, really heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, one one fifty plus. They didn't believe me, and I was like. Well, now you know because a D-bone mule deer is 65 pounds um, mm-hmm. about, and I've got 40 pounds of gear. Usually, um, you know, maybe a little bit more, but sometimes if it's an elk, I'll carry more weight. <clears throat> and then it got into the um, um, kind of the, uh, what's the word, um, how many of us do it type mm-hmm. of a thing. So anyway, I'll quit rambling on about that, but that was kind of a cool thing where really that kind of was an eye-opener for me of – don't present yourself like a dipshit. Right. And even if you have some hate one hating on you on the, on the trail, it's easier to just try to be as polite as you yep. can. Unless they get, I've had a couple people get physical Washington, believe it or not, worst yeah. place in the world. But in Colorado, have you ever had any? No, not really. Yeah. I've had intrigue men. I've had people say, are you a hunter? Do you have a gun? But overall, once you kind of show that you're not a total dumb shit, they're yeah. pretty wide, pretty open-minded. So. Yeah, I've, I've uh, had some really interesting interactions. Um, it's kind of funny. I I, um, I used to own llamas um, years ago, and I just bought some this uh, past this past winter. Um, I haven't used them yet, but uh, they are a great conversation starter because every backpacker, you know, that comes dragging their ass down the trail, you know, and then bumps into somebody that's got some llamas that are carrying weight out for them is intrigued. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a, a Sherpa right, yeah. carrying their stuff? So um, I've seen, you know, over the years where you're carrying, um, you know, as a hunter backpacking in yourself, it's, you know, you can pass by a lot of people that um, you can kind of get the vibe as you're going by them that they don't really care for what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but that same person, you walk by them and you've got a string of llamas and inevitably they're going to stop even if you're wearing camouflage and they got some questions for yeah. you. And that's been a great conversation starter and and uh, and kind of able to leave something of a positive, you know, leave with a pos- them receiving a positive message, you know, and, and uh, I think any hunter non-hunter interaction that that you can leave a um a positive leave with them with a positive experience is really important i mean we're dealing with you know we might be five percent of the population and we are um you know making an impression on 95 percent of the public what you have to remember is that 95 percent can vote yeah and when there are things that come up on the ballot that like you know, spring bear hunting in Colorado, um, man, you know, I never did spring bear hunt in Colorado, but I sure as heck would love to do it now. And that opportunity has gone. And when, you know, back in, I want to say it was 1996, four, somewhere right in there in California, we had the opportunity to vote on, um, hunting mountain lions. So in 1970, um, they put a, uh, they stopped, you know, mountain lion hunting. And so what is this now? 2018. So, you know, basically my whole life, you haven't been able to hunt mountain lions in California. And, uh, we had the opportunity to vote on it and it got voted down, um, 48 to 52%. Yeah. So, 
there was a, you know, had we been able to pick up that 2%, we would have tied it 3%, we would have beat it. Yeah. And which is, I mean, I'm shocked that it was that close in California. I mean, California yeah. is not exactly known for a high hunter population, nor being very receptive or friendly to hunters. And I think now that if that same vote were to come, come up, I mean, if we got north of 25%, I'd be shocked. Yeah. And, you know, I think that as hunters, we need to be very aware that it's more likely that we're going to be losing opportunity as time goes on than we are to be gaining it. And, you know, we need to take a real defensive stance when it comes to hunting and a proactive stance on trying to get a positive message out there instead of just, you know, assuming that everything's going to be great and we're going to, you know, this is going to be, um, these opportunities that we have now are going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Cause I just don't think that's going to be reality, especially if we don't, uh, take an active, uh, stance and, and really, uh, promoting hunting or, you know, sending out a positive message and, and every opportunity that people have, I think they really need to try to, you know, be really aware of what their, what kind of message that they're sending as a, as a hunter to other non hunters. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I mean, we've talked to, when I say we, like Brian and I have talked about it at great length. And I mean, uh, the, the number one thing that, um, I found, like we just talked about that works is I don't say I'm a hunter right out of the gate. Um, depending upon the situation, I kind of let them learn who I am and what I do and then yep. mention it. So they don't have a preconceived notion. Right. They right. already, you know, especially like the CrossFit thing, even though I make fun of CrossFit, um, it's great because it gets so many non because of the paleo yep. and the, it does get a lot of people into hunting or at least, you know, learn about it. And, uh, I've been surprised by some of the crazy messages I've got on Instagram and Facebook from as you're scrolling through because I'm on photography and fitness, uh, pages that mm -hmm. it's, however the algorithm works, it goes yeah. in front of their page. Um, I mean, and, and not negative, like just crazy questions like, Hey, do you leave the horns mm -hmm. or, or do you just take the horns? Right. Not being a dick. They're just asking. Sure. I'm like, no, no. I mean, I said, honestly, I get made fun of cause I leave the horns and I take the, the meat, but you know, the whole idea is this. And then I'll say, hop on my Facebook page and kind of look through this whole photo gallery. And then they can kind of see the entire transformation of beginning to end and how it works out and, and everything else. And, you know, anytime you can give anybody wild game, um, which we do, Amy's giving that shit out like it's candy, um, mm -hmm. you know, to the neighbors or whatever, where they can kind of learn that right. you are bringing it home is a good thing. So. Yeah, I think, you know, when you can show more on your social media feed than just a dead animal, but you can show kind of that whole hunt experience, then for the person that for the non hunter that's looking um, at it, you know, they'll see that hunters are are more than just bloodthirsty killers, but they're, we're actually out there enjoying ourselves and looking for a similar experience to what they are. You know, the few people that do make it out there yeah. um, with just the sole intention of backpacking. Yeah. Um, you know, when you can portray that in a, a respectful and, and artistic manner, then it's going to turn people's heads. No, for, for sure. And again, I mean, luckily for me, um, cause I'm not probably as good with words as I am with photography. The photography seems to, to help quite a bit as far as, um, I'm amazed just getting into photography like I am, how many, um, 
it's weird. Uh, I get Asians, you must be able to eat whatever you want. They're like totally open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I mean, on, on forums and specific, like, um, like, you know, quote unquote pro photography forums that are locked up to only people by invite, um, I'll post some pretty artistic photos of, of animals that moose when I'm in front of my moose was one of them where it's a pretty cool photo, but obviously they knew it was dead. Right. Um, but it was crazy. Um, like, uh, South America, I got death threats, uh-huh. um, you know, Asians, they wanted it. They want meat. They were like super cool about it. Americans were kind of 50, 50. And I was like, Hey, um, you know, do you guys eat beef? And I'm like, well, uh, I mean, I, it died too. And it didn't die right. from natural causes. Like, Hey, I'm just, you know, killing it myself. And you're kind of killing it with a checkbook right? each to his own. But you know, don't, um, look at me in a negative way because I've, I've, I've killed the animal myself. And until you really break it down, Amy's mom's a prime example. Uh, my girlfriend, she, she eats beef and steaks and whatever and, and hates hunting. Yeah. And, um, you know, the whole, I always say, do fish not have souls? Does a turkey not have a soul? I guess you can eat fish and turkeys and kill them, but that's not okay. And kind of breaking it down to help them understand that it's really no different. Um, it's just all in their own mind and kind of explaining it has been, a, a big help but um again it is an uphill battle um in mud with the wind blowing in your face it's going to be difficult but hopefully we can definitely you know work things out a little bit better than have been in the past yeah i i would venture to guess that you know with time you know maybe your mother-in-law will never eat off the same barbecue as you but she will begin to have a better understanding at least of of uh you know of hunting and hunters and and i'm sure will soften her perspective on hunting um, just as a result of being in the presence of somebody who is, you know, is respectful in the, in their pursuit. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Well, we should probably wrap this one up, take a potty break and uh, answer the 9 million text messages we've gotten and uh, hit the next one. We're going to hit gear, shelters, boots, all kinds of stuff on the next one. And you also, you wanted to mention your, you're hiring, right? Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate the platform here. I, I wanted to kind of get the word out that I'm looking to add another employee as my company expands. And um, the kind of the skill set that I'm looking for is a, a little bit different than what you might think um, as far as what a, a bow company would hire. But I'm looking for um, somebody with uh, Rhino CAD and CAM experience. So, you know, kind of an engineering or, or a CAD CNC software background. I've got a laser also that I have uh, just bought that I haven't put into production yet. So I'm kind of looking for somebody more with a computer background, somebody who's also, um, you know, that's the primary um, focus that I'm looking for. And then in addition to that, um, you know, if they have experience running social media, experience with photography, um, photo, video editing, shooting some video. Basically, I'm kind of wanting to expand the stuff I'm doing in social media and, uh, you know, my website content and, and kind of increase um, the customer interaction there. Uh, so if somebody, you know, and of course, the person would need to be willing to relocate to uh, to Colorado, which is, I can say, is not the worst thing that ever yeah. was forced <laughs> upon me or actually it wasn't it's forced upon right. me. Yeah. So, um, if they, if somebody has got a skill set that, um, that, uh, you know, has a background in, in, uh, that Rhino cam and, um, wanted to reach out to me, uh, they can email me south at stalkerstickbows.com or through, you know, my Instagram feed or Facebook, uh, 
that way. I, um, you know, it's something that I, I'm not necessarily immediately have to hire somebody. I, I want to wait and find the right person, but, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity, you know, with the company as it grows and, and, uh, you know, it's pretty fun. I can speak from my own experience about just being involved in the industry and, and, uh, you know, there's probably, you could make more money working for a factory, you know, punching out parts. But, uh, you know, if your passion is in the outdoor industry and you want to kind of, you know, make a difference in that respect and, and, uh, build something that you can be proud of, then, uh, I'm, that's the kind of person I'm looking for. Gotcha. Well, cool. Definitely. And we'll mention it on the next one we do here in a few minutes as well. So, um, so yeah, it's stalkerstickbows.com. Yep. And then you are stalker stick bows on Instagram. Yeah. And then are you the same thing on Facebook? Yep. Okay. Well, there you go. And then South Cox. I, do you have a personal? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I was following the stalker one, but yeah. is it just South underscore Cox or South Cox? South Cox. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on and we'll take a momentary break and get into what seems to everybody likes to hear about is gear. And we'll talk about that next. Love it. 